Welcome to the Adult Protective Services Technical Assistance Resource Center, APS TARC podcast, the fourth in a series of podcasts planned for this year. We come to you with the goal of sharing promising practices and innovations from various APS programs who have received Administration for Community Living ACL discretionary grants. We hope to highlight what is achievable with fresh ideas and new partnerships to help you envision what may be replicated in your program. In this podcast, Jennifer Sperry, APS TARC subject matter expert, and Leanna Waller, Acting Adult Protective Services Bureau Chief, discuss how Montana APS has maximized ACL funding to work with APS clients, alleged perpetrators, community, and service providers to better serve Montanans experiencing opioid and substance use disorders. Now let's join Jennifer Sperry and Leanna Waller in conversation. Welcome to the APS TARC podcast featuring Montana APS. Today we're going to be discussing Montana's ACL APS enhancement grants. Montana's 2018 grant integrated the reporting of suspected abuse and exploitation into the licensing and certification process for facilities, standardized risk and safety assessments and data collection, implemented new tools to track the outcomes of interventions, and worked with Montana tribal entities to improve data reporting. Montana's 2020 APS Enhancement Grant built on this 2018 grant by continuing to improve data and information gathering processes. They utilized a tracking system to document and better understand opioid misuse by alleged victims and alleged perpetrators. I would now like to introduce Leanna Waller, the Interim Bureau Chief of Montana APS. Leanna is responsible for the everyday operations of the agency. Leanna, tell our listeners about your experience in Montana's APS agency and how you came to work in APS. Hi, yes, thanks Jennifer for having me. Um, So I began with Montana APS back in 2017 as an investigator. Um, At that time, we managed our own intake and we also carried um, long-term cases, which were our state-appointed guardianship cases, as well as working um, investigations of abuse, neglect, and exploitation. Um, Since then, I got involved with the pilot program um, through this grant that helped create our social services unit, which is really sort of the ongoing part of our agency. Um, We started with myself and then we brought on three additional workers and as of today we currently have a staff of um, six. So we've grown that unit um, to do this work and that's really exciting. I am currently now um, the interim bureau chief, our bureau chief Trevor Tangen has deployed um, with the military for 12 months. So he will be back next year, probably July of 2023. And um, in in his absence, I'll be, you know, working as the interim and just making sure all of these programs uh, continue. Well, that's certainly something commendable to highlight. So we wish Trevor all the best. Before we yeah. jump into the conversation surrounding Montana's ACL enhancement grants, Let's talk about Montana. Can you give our listeners some background about your state? Yeah, Montana, um, one is uh, an incredibly beautiful state. Uh, we are one of the, we're the fourth largest state in the in the nation. We have 56 counties 
And right now, our APS agency, we have about 36 investigators who cover all 56 counties. Uh, last year, to give an idea of kind of, you know, what we saw for reports, we saw about 12,000 reports of abuse, neglect, and exploitation um, last fiscal year. So those are reports coming in from across the state. Um, yeah, That's so we're a, lot a big of territory. State. It's a lot of territory. A lot of our territory is very rural. Um, so we have investigators who, you know, may have to drive six hours in a in a work day to be able to investigate a report. Mm. Well, so that explains why in a prior conversation you were talking about how Montana was closing satellite offices to allow workers to work remotely before the pandemic hit. So tell us a little bit more about your department's success even before the pandemic with remote work. Yeah, we, um, you know, it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise that we were able to start sending our workers um, kind of home prior to the pandemic. We started um, doing some remote work uh, after we realized that a lot of the work our our investigators, especially our field staff, were, were doing was being conducted from the field or their vehicle. Um, so it really didn't make sense to have these offices when um, most of the time was spent um, away from their desk. So in February of 2020, um, we were already in the motion of, of closing those satellite offices and allowing workers to work from home. Um, we were able to equip our um, staff with the, with the technology they would need to be able to work remotely. Um, so they all have laptops, they have cell phones, um, they had, you know, workstations in their homes, um, and they were pretty, pretty much fully functional out in the field and from their homes. So once That's the pandemic hit, um, it really was just those, you know, few workers who had remained in the office um, that then made the, made the switch. Yeah, that was really some kind of some kind of timing you guys had there. <laughs> yeah. So I understand you were, yeah, you were in another position when the initial grant was written, but do you have any background on mm -hmm. how the ideas came up for the grant application this time? Yeah, um, so I, I do know that this grant was out of a collaboration between our um, previous Bureau Chief Michael Hagenlock and our research analysis with Purdue, Mary and Lou, they had met at a NAPSA conference and started conversations around um, these enhancement grants and some of the projects that could be done. And um, together they, you know, started collaborating and, and, and built these, these programs. That's great. That networking is so important. So speaking of yeah. networking, tell us a little bit about the partners involved in this most recent grant. Sure. So Mary and Lou uh, is with Purdue University, and we have partnered with her to help with the analysis of the, the data that we're collecting. Um, we also have a contract with University of Illinois Chicago, and Karen and Ken Conrad um, have helped us develop our screening tools, along with Jump Technology, who is um, the 
they've created our data system leaps that we use. They've helped us sort of put all of these screening tools, these uh, data collection mechanisms into practical use within our LEAP system. So it doesn't require our workers to utilize different programs. We can do everything within our LEAP system, which is what we use to you know, track all of the cases that come through our office. Um, we also have worked and collaborated with our Montana State Unit on Aging. Uh, we have a Montana Association of Area on Aging Agencies, or what we call M4A, and we've contracted with them to sort of help us do some of this ongoing monitoring of these cases that we've <clears throat> identified as having some opioid use or substance use, and there's the investigators have then built these service plans uh, with referrals for services. So all around, um, it's a really you know great program. We've contracted and we collaborate with a lot of different agencies, which has been really helpful to the success of this program. Yeah, you sounds like you've got a great team surrounding you. So um, I guess tell us a little bit about the goal of this grant before we get into the details. Okay, so the goal of this grant is really to identify um, the opioid issues and substance use issues of the population that we serve. Um, so through the support of our research team and our development team, we've created a opioid disorder screener and a substance use screener. These are tools that our investigators are using and, and um, completing while they're doing their investigations out in the field. From those, they're developing service plans that are then being referred over to our social services unit. And they follow up with those service plans to find out, did these services get established? If not, why not? And what that part helps us really do is be able to identify a couple things. Um, it's helping us identify where the gaps might be in in that between us APS closing out a case and a provider picking up that referral and it's helping us ensure that those service referrals do get established so that we can hopefully reduce some of the recidivism that we see um, with many cases. Um, the other goal is really to be able to um, follow up, and this is the part that our M4A team does, is follow up on those services long-term to check in on the quality and the quantity of those services that are being provided. Um, we also are trying to not only just focus on the alleged victim in these cases, but we're also trying to focus on the alleged perpetrator. So if there are service referrals that help um, meet the needs of the whole unit or the family unit, um, then we are helping establish and connect people to those services. Gotcha. That's pretty innovative. Can you tell us about some of the success you've seen throughout the grant? Yeah. So um, we started our data collection in October of 2021. Um, and just between October and December of that year, we saw an increase in service plans from 14% to 
to 43%. So our investigators went, have increased their development of these service plans in that short time frame. So um, that's really great. Uh, that means that we're identifying the needs of the individuals we're coming in contact with and we're helping build service plans to address those concerns. That's great. Why do you think this increased? You know, I think um, a couple things. One, I think that prior to this grant and this, this project, oftentimes, you know, the workers in the field are making a lot of um, probably more verbal referrals um, rather than building a plan around those referrals. So mm -hmm. sometimes depending on that individual, those services may fall through a fall through a crack. Um, they may not be they may not be able to set those services up. Um, so I think we saw the increase in service plans as a result of our training of the field staff on how to build these service plans and really identify what were the needs of the individual and what services might be available to um, address those needs. And I think through a lot of training um, in through the project goals of this grant, it allowed us to work with our staff on how to develop those. And I think that's why we've seen the Yeah, and that's really in innovative and inclusive to think about the perpetrators as part of, part of the care plan. Because so many times mm -hmm. in APS work, the um, client alleged victim, they really don't want to move. They don't want anything to happen to that alleged perpetrator and they just want the problem to be solved. So trying to address that is super innovative. So um, let's shift gears a little bit here now and talk about any challenges because our work is never easy, but very rewarding. So mm -hmm. talk about the challenges that you've experienced through this. Yeah, and I think um, still kind of along those lines, you know, some of the challenges that you run into um, for our field staff when they're wanting to complete these screening tools, um, you know, sometimes an individual who may be experiencing or having opioid use or substance use, um, they may not be typically forthcoming about their use and they may not want to give information about those habits. Um, so, you know, that has been a real challenge of, of making sure that our field staff are trained in ways to be able to communicate um, why we're asking those questions and um, to be able to get, you know, real truthful answers from the respondent on what is occurring um, and then, you know, making sure that we have resources available um, and are knowledgeable of resources that they, we can then refer them to to help um, address any of those concerns. Yeah, and when we were so speaking that, previously, you really were speaking about how the systems have evolved and there's a new initiative in Montana that allows the substance users to enter a program in various stages, is that correct? It sounds like it's very yeah. focused on the recovery. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as a as a whole, the state of Montana is really working on how can we address the, the opioid issue in our state. 
um, and one of the new um, programs that has come out. And I am hopeful that we're going to see a lot more resources um, come available for people who may be struggling with opioid or substance use. Um, disorders is that we will be able to make referrals for more programs, but there is, um, you know, an initiative to allow people to enter at different points of um, access within their communities to seek assistance for these issues. Um, and I think in collaboration with some of those programs that might get started around this entry system, uh, we'll be able to have more information on what's available and more direction on um, how to connect people in our communities. Yeah, that, that sounds really promising. Lots of good stuff going on. So um, what other opportunities do you see in the future? Sounds like the, the opportunities are endless. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're, um, you know, really responding to our growing, um, our aging population in Montana, and we're responding to the concern that a lot of areas where um, the population we serve uh, reside in their communities, there's not a lot of services. And so how do we bolster those services? How do we make sure that the populations of people who are aging in those communities have access to services that aid them and assist them in the aging process? Um, we also have uh, new to our state is the Office of American Indian Health. Um, and we have a new director, Stephanie Ironshooter. And we're really excited to have her in that role and have her collaborate with us on how we can better work um, with our tribal entities and our, our tribal communities um, to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all Montanans. That's really great to hear. So um, any other highlights that you'd like to, to highlight in Montana? Um, you know, I think just overall, the thing that is really working well for us and that we're really excited about is being able to better track um, these services and the resources that are available across our state and to also kind of identify areas where they're lacking so that we can help um, build those services and those resources for those um, communities. And I think to better understand, you know, the the opioid use and substance use issues that are present within this population that we serve um, and interact with, so that we are we are addressing those issues also, um, and that we're better understanding how it impacts and affects the population that we serve. Yeah, yeah, and and within families is something you're really looking at, which is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. So overall, I always like to ask, what's the feedback you're receiving from the field? What are your, your staff in Montana saying about this? Yeah, yeah, I think the feedback has been really great and really supportive. Um, you know, I think our providers, especially across the state, are really excited to have us be doing this um, additional service of following up with uh, victims and perpetrators to ensure that services are being established. 
Um, I also think that they're, um, you know, supportive of us looking at these issues of opioid use and substance use because, like many communities across the country, um, you know, we're not unique. We're we're having these same issues too. And so, really, um, trying to better understand what that looks like within our population we serve, and what are some of the impacts um, that it's having on these populations. I think people are really um, appreciative of our efforts to better understand that. And then, you know, we're seeing that um, the recidivism is decreasing. I mean, we're seeing that we're able to get people into services um, and that we're kind of casting out a safety net to be able to catch some of these people who may have fallen through the cracks in the past. And so I think um, providers and, um, you know, citizens are just really happy. And I think it also is, um, you know, our field staff are feeling it too, because they're able to see, you know, individuals get into the services that they need to address some of the concerns that, that were initially bringing them into our services. And so for our field staff, I think it feels like, um, you know, a weight to, off their shoulders to know that these individuals are getting into services and they're not coming back month after month with the same concerns. Yeah, and you're really giving them the tools they need to do their job well. And from what I understand mm -hmm. in our previous conversations, you've even had um, APSers, APSers in the state, train other workers, APS workers. Is that correct? Within oh, yeah, this? yeah within our own state and then um, we have collaborated with Nevada who was um, the other state who received this opioid grant and um, we've worked with them on how and we've shared information on how each of our programs have been successful in in doing parts of the project. Um, one of the things we've we've shared with them is how we're working with alleged perpetrators on completing these screening tools and gathering this information. Um, so yeah, I think you know for us, um, it's great to be able to have another state uh, doing some of the same work, and we can work with them and share with them, you know, what's successful and what challenges are we running into um, to help collaborate um, and make sure we're we're building the best program we can yeah that that's the end game so Leanna anything yeah. else you'd like to add to to close the podcast no I I mean I think that's everything and um, this has just been such a joy and I really appreciate you having us on to share about our our project that we're working on in our program and um, you know what's worked for us because I hope it does benefit other states who might be considering um, you know, these same, these same programs or um, grant funded opportunities. Well, I have to thank you for sharing all of this valuable information and um, you're really improving some outcome, outcomes for your APS clients in Montana. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate all of this information and can use it going forward in the future. Thank you very much for listening. The APS TARC is a project of the U.S. Administration for Community Living, Administration on Aging, Department of Health and Human Services, and administered by WRMA Incorporated. Contractors' findings, conclusions, and points of view do not necessarily represent the official policy of the federal government. To give us feedback on this podcast or any other APS TARC product, 
please email us at APSTARC-TA at acl.hhs.gov. And please join us next time for another APS TARC podcast.